Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, is your host Alex Metzger, and uh, this week I'm bringing something a little different, trying something new here. Uh, this part of the podcast will just be uh, me by myself, actually. I'm just kind of talking about the last couple games for the Sens. Uh Since I last recorded, they have played four games: uh, one against the Sharks, Rangers, Capitals, and Stars. Uh, they went. Uh, Two and two in that time, or sorry, uh, one and three actually in that time. They probably should have had a win, but didn't. Uh, so I'm going to break down those, and then uh, I'm going to quickly preview the Blackhawks game that uh, will be uh, happening tonight, probably as you're listening to this. I'm going to get this out for Monday morning. Um, and then the last half of the podcast, I actually uh, have a guest join me to preview the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I have, as you, I'm sure you can tell already by the Thomas, uh, title, Thomas Williams joining me. Um, we uh, took a look for about 25, 30 minutes at uh, the Sens Wild. Uh, we previewed the matchup between the two, talked about the Wild a little bit, and uh, it's something new I'm going to give a try here. I think um, given how long it's been since Ottawa's played some of these teams, like we talked about it, uh, we'll get to it in a bit, but it's literally 2019. It was almost two full years ago since uh, the Senators last played the Wild, and it's such a different team. I, I want to try this out where, you know, I get different guests on to um, um, kind of highlight different things about other teams so, so you, uh, you know, we can get a better look at them before we go in and maybe, you know, um, keep an eye on different players that aren't exactly household names. So uh, definitely give it a try and... Um, as always, I'm open to feedback. I uh, really appreciate when people have um, anything, you know, positive or negative to say. You know, what, what do you like and dislike? I'm always open to uh, any feedback. So if you um, like this kind of style or you like the preview, let me know. Um, I, I'm thinking maybe there, there'll be some times where I do a 20 or 30-minute preview on a team and maybe even bring in a second guest to do 20-minute recap. So it's not always just myself talking. Um, but, you know, this week will just be, be me talking, and I think we can get right into it uh, with uh, the f- one, first of four games, uh, the San Jose Sharks and Ottawa Senators. Eric Carlson came back. Uh, the Sharks end up winning this one 2-1. Uh, I thought this was an overall really well-played game by Ottawa. I think there was a couple in here, obviously, where they were unlucky not to get a point. Um, that being said, uh, you know, there's definitely a bunch of stuff they need to to work on as the season goes on here too. And I, and I think they will, but um, you know, just from this game, I really thought that they controlled play, uh, especially after the first period. Uh, you look at even just shot attempts kind of backs that up as well. They had 41.67% of the shot attempts in the first 51% in the second and dominate was 75 in the, in the third period at five on five, it was 25 to eight for, for shot attempts four. Um, so I, I think Ottawa deserved definitely a better outcome than the, uh, 2-1 loss that they had here, but, um, you know, it wasn't meant to be, unfortunately, and, um, uh, you know, they, they come away with zero points, and it's one of those things where, uh, um, you know, they, they, they were up early and uh, let two go in the second period there, and that's what really sunk them, unfortunately, um, so it, it was uh, a good game overall. Um, I really thought that uh, guys like Formington stood out, uh, Josh Norris. That, that top line has been really good all year. Uh, Kachuk, Norris, Batherson absolutely dominated play at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, Chabot and Zub, unsurprisingly, also dominated. They had a 70% plus Corsi 4 percentage while on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, they were just really unstoppable all night long. 
Um, and, and I don't think that should be much of a surprise. But when you look at the uh, Sens lineups, uh, Stutzla, Nick Paul, and Connor Brown, Paul's kind of switched to that center role with uh, all the injuries that have happened here up front. And, and that was a dominant line as well. They went 6 nothing for in terms of shot attempts for and against. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't end up in any goals, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it's... A good, it was a good look for them on their debut. And then, uh, you know, the, the fourth line of Sanford, Ennis, Shaw, um, you know, they played all right as well. Uh, and then, you know, the, the line combos came out a little bit. But um, obviously this was the game that Pinto went down too. So, um, you know, overall I thought it was a good effort. Uh, it's unfortunate because I think looking back at the end of the year, this is going to be one of those games you really want to take points off of. Um I don't think that San Jose is a great team. Uh, you know, they obviously have some talent, but um, even Eric Carlson, who's been point per game, I, I was curious because I saw a bunch of he's back kind of quotes and I wanted to go take a look at it. And San Jose is getting absolutely filled in at five on five. And it's not just Carlson. It's it's the whole team. So it's a um, a pretty big PDO bender, I would say, that they're going on here where, um, you know, they have started off hot, but they're 29th in Corsi 4 percentage and I think 31st um, and 28th actually in expected goals. So uh, it has not been the greatest performance, but uh, they, they seem to keep on winning. Um, you know, they the, the Sharks, as I'm recording this, squeaked one out against the uh, Winnipeg Jets last night um, to improve to 5-3 and three on the year. Uh, and the Sharks had about five, six players missing, including Eric Carlson and their coach, uh, and still got the win. So, um, yeah, overall, I thought it was an interesting game. Uh, you know, Ottawa pressed, but couldn't end up getting more than that one goal in the third period, or in the first period, sorry, and couldn't get anything in the third, unfortunately, and that was their downfall. But I think coming out of it, you know, the big takeaway for me, at least for this couple games, is how much they're relying on that top line. And Obviously, that's going to be natural when you have guys like Shane Pinto out who are supposed to be, and even Colin White, I think, who, you know, was supposed to be that 3C on this team or could uh, roll in that middle six on the wing as well. You know, those are two important guys up front that are out, and it's coming to fruition here, too, where, um, you know, I really have liked that uh, Nick Nick Paul sliding to the middle and playing with Stutz and Connor Brown. I, I think that's that's looked really good. And then, it's you know, the, the one thing is left Formanton, Tierney, uh, um, on that third line to try and hold down. And, um, you know, some days it looks good and other days, you know, maybe not so much. Um, the other thing, too, to mention is, you know, I, it sounds like Ottawa might be getting Austin Watson back um, in on Tuesday's game against the Minnesota Wild. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects the uh, lineups because uh, Scott Sabrin has draw, drawn into a couple game, a game or two here. And, um, you know, even uh, Logan Shaw, uh, you know, has been up and down, and those guys just aren't um, aren't really guys. I think that should be on an everyday roster when it comes to a team that you know, even if they're not compet- uh, wanting to compete for a cup. I-, I think it's fair to say that the Sens and their fans uh, definitely want them, um, you know, competing in uh, in every game, and you know, at least around the playoff race, playing meaningful games into uh, closer to. Uh, March here, so I, I think Logan Shaw and Scott Sabrin are definitely guys that you probably don't want on your roster. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to their claim in, in a minute as well because uh, he he's played a game in Dylan Gambrell, but uh, you know I'll get to that in a second as well. But moving to the second game of the four since I've recorded, I just want to go through them all real quick, and that was the New York Rangers, and uh, this one hurts the most, and I think this is the biggest for me. This game is the biggest differentiator of how much different this season is than the past three or four. 
Uh, I can't remember. It probably would have been early 2018 after they, like, around when they made that Duchesne trade, when there was still heavy expectations for this team, was the last time I truly got angry at a result from the Ottawa Senators. Uh, generally speaking, over the past couple of years, even if they just blow a game or whatever, it's like, well, whatever. It's a good learning experience, and honestly, they, they should be wanting to be tanking a little bit here anyways. Um, this is, you know, for the first time in years where it was like I was genuinely angry after a game that they blew it. Uh, they dominated this game through uh, 40 minutes. 50, it, it felt like even more than 50% uh, of possession in the first period, but that's what they ended up coming out with. And it was closer, and they had more of the expected goals, 60%. Second period, 80% expected goals, 65% course four. Like, the, the stats really lined up with the eye test here, especially at 5-5. Five and five. They absolutely dominated the Rangers for 40. Um, but they got up and really sat back at, um, in that, uh, you know, third period. They, uh, they got up a goal early kept on them and uh, then we're up two nothing with about eight minutes left in the in the third period uh, a fight goes down and you know I, I don't think I, I often say I think that um, fighting is probably a little overrated um, you know just in terms of the momentum there's so many momentum swings I don't know if you can really pin it to one fight but um, you know what uh, what for sure happened was after the fight uh, you know the, the Rangers uh, they, they were pressing the whole period but they get a goal uh, then there's a play where Stutzla gets can open in the in the middle of the ice and somehow gets called for diving because the ref thought he maybe dove earlier in the game uh, just one of the most uh, one of the most unbelievable calls I've seen that completely switch and of course it's four and four it should be a sense pad power play but because it's four and four the Rangers go down and score right away uh, it's a tie game and then they score again about a minute later two minutes later and Ottawa comes out of a game where they easily should have had two points with zero and uh, definitely a frustrating game it's good good sign that they dominate for that long but uh, they need to close it out and um, you know I've Praise Nick Paul and his on-ice game quite a bit already, but it was Nick Paul who fought Sammy Blay. And, you know, as I mentioned, with those injuries up front and Shane Pinto, you know, you can't have Nick Paul, who was your 2C, um, you know, or even just a, a top six forward for this team right now. You, you just... You really can't have him fighting and taking himself out of five minutes, especially because Nick Paul is one of their best defensive C's. You know, like you, you just you can't be putting Chris Tierney and Logan Shaw out there routinely to defend leads, uh, and that is really, really what was happening. Um, and you know, they were already kind of playing down as as well, um, just in, from a forwards perspective. Uh, they had Parker Kelly playing that game, and he only played seven minutes at five on five. Uh, Logan Shaw also only played seven minutes and 52 seconds um, at five on five throughout the whole game. So you were basically almost playing with three lines anyways. You know, you take Nick Paul out of it and it just it gets that much worse, too. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where it was really unfortunate. Um, it's another game where the top line and top defense pair were dominant throughout the whole game. Like. Every one of Batherson, Kachuk, Shabbat, Norris, and Zub were all above 60% in possession uh, for the game. Uh, I thought Josh Brown had a really good game in a limited role for this one as well, which uh, that narrative, I think, will switch into the third game we recap real quick. But I thought uh, Mete looked pretty good as well. I, I thought both of those guys had um, better, uh, definitely one of their better games of the year because uh, um, both of them, I think it's fair to say, have really struggled um, at times this year. Um, you know, this was, I thought, Holden's worst game of the year. He kind of got caved in, and um, 
Zaitsev, I'm going to get to him in a second as well. But uh, yeah, this this game was a frustrating one, I think, from Sens fans. It's it's tough when you lead the whole game. You know, there, there's something about the game where it's like if you, you get down at the start and you just never get back into it, it's frustrating. But it's like, oh, well, like they just it wasn't their night. Uh, this was their night. And quite honestly, they should have. Should have come out of here. The fact that they didn't even get one point is absolutely astonishing, but, you know, they probably should have had two as well. So you get two games in a row where I thought the effort overall was really good, but it was 10, 15 minutes that really killed you, and you just couldn't get on the scoreboard. And, um, you know, they come out with zero points, and it's just an unfortunate unfortunate circumstance, really. Um, you know, like that's uh, – it's – they they lose the third one to the Capitals, obviously, and it was just, and this, we'll get into it in a sec here, it was one of the most exciting games, and it's just one of the most uh, weird three-game losing streaks, because it doesn't it didn't feel like a three-game losing streak. They were right in every game, and, and probably should have had points in at least two of them. Um, you know, maybe even you could argue the Capitals game, uh, which was just an absolutely wild game. Um, and, you know, I guess there is something to argue if they're going to lose, at least make it exciting, and that's for sure. But, um, you know, you want to see wins come sooner than later eventually. But, uh, you know, let's get into the Capitals game as well. This was just uh, up and down. This was not Forsberg's night. He gets pulled after about four goals in the first period. Uh, Gustafson comes in, and, um, you know, once he comes in, you know, the things kind of start to rebound. Uh, Ottawa, you know, kind of got their feet back underneath them, um, and it, it was weird. It was one of the nights where I really thought Samsonov, despite letting in five goals, played really well. There was uh, four or five other chances where I really thought Ottawa had a very good chance at scoring, and Samsonov made some unreal saves. Um, again, Chabot and Zub above 60, 62% possession in, in this game. Uh, Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson weren't as great. They were slightly below 50, uh, but the Brown-Paul-Stutzla line was above 50. So you you see that top six playing basically to evens, and then what's been you know the case all year is the, the common names down in the bottom six are not pulling their weight, and that's Sanford, Ennis, Logan Shaw, Chris Tierney, uh, you know, Formanton. Is, and I'm not saying it's all their fault. I've liked what Tyler Ennis has brought, but it's very clear that, you know, he can't be driving his own line. He should be the third best player on your third line or even the second best player on your fourth line. And, um, you know, with Pinto out and with White out, that's just not the case. And they don't really have the depth for that, unfortunately. Um, so, and then you get to the defense. Uh, Mete was a mess tonight, that, the, this night as well. He had a 22% Corsi 4 percentage. Josh Brown, while Josh Brown was on the ice, the Senators had zero shots for and 15 against. Uh, I just... And he had no defensive zone shift starts. He had six on the fly, 10 in the neutral zone, and two in the offensive zone. So it's not a thing of he was getting crushed what he was putting in defensive minutes. He just flat out sucked. Um... Nikita Zaitsev, 11 shot attempts for 23 while he's on the ice. Uh, Holden was getting caved in with Zaitsev as well. Um, I, it's so, so frustrating. And, you know, at least with Zaitsev, he had five defensive zone starts, six a neutral zone, no offensive, 11 on the fly. So, you know, you can argue at least he played a little bit. It's just, it, it's so frustrating because it's been the same thing for two years. And I saw some people defending Josh Brown online and, you know, maybe maybe some people's a little aggressive. It was more one person going to bat for him, and I just don't know how you watch this game and think it's not a Josh Brown. And I don't know how you watch this game and think it's a a systems issue and not a personnel issue because it is a personnel issue, one hundred percent. 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm just pulling up the goals here, but the first one, Josh Brown has it behind the net, tries to walk out front and gives a direct turnover up to the other team, which leads to a one nothing goal uh, back the other way. It like just literally turns it over in the slot for a wide open guy out front. Uh, the second one, Josh Brown turns the puck over. It comes back to a two, a three on two. Both him and Mete get caught puck watching, which allows a guy, uh, you know, to get kind of open in the slot. And then uh, a bad shot, you know, Forsberg probably should have had that. But it starts with another pr- uh, turnover, uh, you know, when there was a better play to be made. Um, and then, you know, the third goal is a point shot that uh, I think Forsberg probably should have had. It was a big screen, but, um, you know, it's tough. And then there was... Uh, the fourth goal, John Carlson absolutely dekes out Batherson and then goes roof with it. Uh, you know, some people argued that Forsberg could have had that one too. I'm not so sure, but uh, it was definitely fair he had to be pulled. Um, you know, and then from there, it's 4-1, 17 minutes left in the second period. Um, you know, and the Senators start to come back. Norris gets one on an absolute rocket one-timer. Um, they... Uh, they get another one, Tyler Ennis, with the feed to Chris Tierney, who has his, like, fourth of the year, I believe it is, uh, which is absolutely hilarious. And then Drake Batherson with a nasty toe drag and then scores from almost behind the net. Uh, it uh, was absolutely unbelievable, um, you know, and that, that made it 4-4. And then there was a very questionable hit from Ovechkin, who just drives. Uh, I actually don't know. I can't remember who it was right in the numbers. Um, it was one of the worst hits I've seen in a while, and it went. The ref literally watched it happen. It went like unpenalized. I, I seriously could not believe it. Like it was um, just insane. And uh, what was even, I think it might have been Connor Brown that got hit. But what was even more insane to me is that the amount of people that thought there was some, some agenda out there to get Ovechkin uh, his. Uh, um, get the record against Gretzky for the goals. Like I think it's more just the NHL officiating sucks at their job more than uh, Ovechkin can't be penalized because I think, if anything, the, the NHL does a horrible job of protecting their star players because... You know, like I saw a bunch of tweets where it was Nick Paul, I believe, sorry, that got hit. Um, you know, but I, I saw a bunch of tweets that were like, if Nick Paul did this on Ovechkin, Paul would have been sitting for 10 games. And I don't just don't think that's true at all. I just think that the NHL is bad at protecting the, their stars and non-stars. They're just bad kind of at their job. But uh, unfortunately, Ovechkin goes back about three and a half minutes later when you could argue he might not, he shouldn't even be in the game. Uh, at the very least, it should have been a power play. But uh, Ovechkin takes a just rocket off of, uh, I don't know what Zaitsev is doing on this play, but just fires one into the shin pad of Ovechkin who goes and buries a beautiful breakaway back the other way. Um, it's... <sighs> And then, you know, another, the, the sixth goal goes in and it was a wraparound type thing that hit Holden Skate out front, unfortunately. I, again, like, I don't want to point fingers, but Zaitsev is just flopping around like a fish out here. And it just blows my mind what the coaching staff or, you know, anyone who defends him sees in this. But um, that made it 6-4. And then Batherson completes the hat trick to make it 6-5, uh, which would have been awesome. But, um it ends up being 7-5, you know, after the Sens get puck watching. It was after a power play where, um, you know, they got lucky. Ovechkin missed a shot, actually, and then Mete gets dragged in the corner. I didn't think it was his too bad of his fault, but then Josh Brown gets dragged way too far deep as well. And same same with Nick Paul. I think one of the forwards can be argued against that as well, and they leave Ovechkin wide open the slot to score like he does so often. So, uh, you know, that ended up making 7-5, and that's where the game finished. And um, overall, it was just... Really disappointing because, uh, like again, we're seeing the top six play really well. 
That first line dominates, it feels like, every single game. Uh, that second line of Stutzla Paul and Connor Brown has been very solid since they've gotten put together. Um, and, you know, and obviously when Pinto was there too, it was looking really good. And, um, you know, but then now, now you're seeing where the depth is lacking because uh, with Pinto in, I thought that third line to start the year looked really solid with um, Paul, Tierney, and then either Formanton or Ennis, whoever you want to put on the right side. And that gave you an option on the fourth line because, as I said, then Tyler Ennis can be your first or second best player on the fourth line and not the third line. You know, if you want to run Paul, uh, Tierney, Formanton on the third line, and then Ennis, uh, Watson, um, uh, Sanford, or, you know, any combination really on that fourth line has been kind of okay. Parker Kelly, you know, I uh, I haven't loved the look of Parker Kelly's game, but, um, you know, the statistics actually are, are more favorable on him than than what my eye test has been. I, I thought that, you know, there's been a couple plays a game where it kind of looks like he's been out of place and, you know, needs some more time before he comes up. But um, his overall game has been okay. He's been, you know, generating more than he lets up, generally speaking. So, um, you know, I think if he's your fourth line player, it's okay. But he's absolutely got to be your 12th best forward. And, you know, when you have like Logan Shaw and, and uh, Scott Sabrin playing, like that's just not... They're just not full-time NHLers, which is just unfortunate. And it's going to put you behind the eight ball kind of right away. So, um, you know, and then we get to the other game. This is why I didn't actually get to watch this game. It was against the Dallas Stars. But, uh, you know, I, I watched the first period in a bit, but that was about it. But, um, you know, best game. They finally get points. They, uh, um, you know, started out hot, and then they got out to a bit of an early lead, and it kind of looked like they just shelled defensively, and that was good enough for them. Um, you know, they, they got up uh, 4-1, and it was kind of all Dallas after that. But when you're up three goals just trying to hold that, I mean, you know, fair enough, I guess. Um, um, I, don't, I can't like I can't speak too much on this game when I, I didn't watch it. Uh, it's uh, not something, you know, I, I can obviously read, you know, Corsi 4 reports and expect, expected goals. But for a one-game sample, that obviously only gives you a part of the story. Uh, you know, I like to try and match it up with my eye test to, to see if that matched. But... Overall, it looked like a hot start. Uh, Kachuk gets on the score sheet with a goal. Um, you know, Stutzla still can't buy one, which is just the most insane thing to me because he's looked like the best senator or one of the best senator forwards throughout uh, uh, throughout here. You know, Drake Batherson's another one that is absolutely hot on this revenge. Uh, not a revenge tour, um, just kind of, you know, a real breakout season, if you ask me. Um, so uh, I really think... Uh, um, you know, it's been awesome to see him grow, but I, I won't comment too much. Uh, but what, what I will say is, you know, in between the uh, Caps game and, and this game, uh, the Senators claim Dylan Gambrell from the San Jose Sharks off of waivers. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll stick full time. I think he'll definitely be around for a little bit. I, I think um, if I'm Ottawa, I would much... I, Logan Shaw will be down before him, and I think even Scott Sabrin should probably go down before him when... Uh, Pinto gets healthy eventually, and it doesn't look like Pinto's injury is going to be too serious, uh, which is good. You know, I think they're saying kind of week-to-week, day-to-day kind of thing, which uh, when it happened, it looked like it could have been like a separated shoulder, uh, dislocated shoulder that could have kept him out months and probably bugged him all year. So here's fingers crossed that, you know, when he can only miss a couple weeks and actually be healthy for the rest of the year, because, uh, you know, you don't want the guy... Uh, uh, being worried about playing a you know somewhat physical style either because that's kind of what Pinto does great you know gets into the dirty areas and pisses teams off as well but um, yeah Gamble gets claimed from the San Jose Sharks uh, he's a very limited upside player um, kind of I think what they want in their bottom six though so I, I do think he will fit the mold I don't 
it's not the worst claim I've ever seen. He is a black hole offensively. And, um, you know, it's always funny. Again, I have already mentioned it once, but it's always fun when the stats, I think, match up with the eye test. And I won't claim to have watched a ton of San Jose Shark games over the past three years. Um, but the um, the co-host at Locked On Sharks, uh, I saw um, when he came over, made a comment saying, he is very good, responsible defensively, but will bring absolutely nothing offensively. And that is exactly what the stats say as well. Um, it says, you know, offensively when it comes, if you go look at Hockey Viz and their expected, isolated expected uh, uh, goals model, um, he is negative 13.5% uh, this year, or sorry, last year, negative 3.9% uh, the year before, negative 7% the year before offensively, which basically means he just creates a lot less offensively than the, the average player. Um, but defensively, he was a minus 4.6, which means he gives a lot less up uh, than the, the average player. And the past couple the years before that, he was just a, around a zero and a one. So, um, you know, he's definitely been... A guy where, you know, if he's on your fourth line, it's probably not horrible. Um, again, I think I'd rather him be your 12th best forward than, say, your 10th. Uh, marginal difference, but definitely a difference. But I think once they are healthy, he will, I'd, like, he might be a healthy scratch on this team. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's okay. Like, and for the, the offense that he produces, or uh, doesn't produce, I should say, in terms of expected goals, it, he doesn't... Uh, it's not like he can't produce. Like he had 12 points in 49 games last year, which uh, isn't nothing um, by any means. You know, that's, I think, at least uh, it hints at a uh, 25-point pace or so, which, um, you know, if you can put up a uh, 20-point 20 20 pace, I guess, but if you can put up 20 points and be responsible defensively, there's a, a lot worse you can get out of a 4C who's not making much and is 25 years old. So um, I think overall when it comes to this claim, it's – not the worst thing in the world. I don't think it'll be a difference maker, but it gives them a little depth and um, saves them from maybe having to send someone up, or, you know, or keep someone up. Like I really do think it'll it'll benefit someone like Parker Kelly to stay down in the minors a little bit more. He just didn't really look like he was fitting in up up for the first couple games with Ottawa. So um, yeah, I don't hate the claiming. I'm, it's not great, but it is what it is. Like it's uh, there's definitely worse players you can claim and. If it means not playing Scott Sabrin, uh, meaningful NHL minutes, I'm all here for it. I feel bad. Like, I feel like I'm ripping on the dude. He's just not an NHL player for a team that wants to, you know, try and make playoffs or push for playoffs or anything like that. So, um, last thing I'll get to here quickly is uh, um, Sens are in Chicago Monday and then Minnesota Tuesday. Obviously, uh, uh, we got a big uh, preview coming up for Minnesota and uh, it's actually, I, I really enjoy it. I think you guys will as well. This is a team that um, has been irrelevant for years, but it's actually a fun team now. And uh, Thomas is a great guy to break it down. He's a he, He's mentioned in the um, podcast as well. He's from Toronto, but he is a big Sens fan as well in terms of just watching the team. He loves them. He, he doesn't cheer for the Maple Leafs, uh, which is always nice. But uh, so we, we talk about uh, the Sens as well, but also the Wild. But I figure I get into Chicago. Um, obviously, the big thing with Chicago right now is off ice versus on ice. Um I won't comment too much on it here because me and Chase uh, really went uh, spent most of our podcast this week on the Eminem Hockey Podcast talking about the uh, Kyle Beach and Chicago uh, Blackhawks sexual assault investigation. Um, so, you know, uh, the one thing I, I will say here that, you know, I, I reiterated a bunch on that podcast too is it's an absolute shame. Um, it's disgusting that, you know, better steps weren't taken and this many people tried covering it up and um you know 
Kyle Beach is a hero for coming forward with this, even after 10 years of being told, you know, he's wrong, he's lying, all this stuff. So, um, you know, that's that's what I want to say on the off-ice stuff. If you want to hear you know, more of my thoughts, uh, definitely go check out my other podcast, the Eminem Hockey Podcast. I don't mean that as a a plug on a situation like this. I just mean as more it's such a such a sensitive topic uh, that, you know, I, I think it's better. I uh, just went over it once instead of trying to reiterate my thoughts twice and, you know, get something wrong. Um Jason, I really tried to prepare and uh, talk about that on the other podcast. So I'll leave my comments for that. Um, on ice here, uh, this is a big two-point opportunity for Ottawa. Um, this team, you know, the off-ice stuff doesn't help, but this team flat-out sucks on the ice too. Um, a lot of people were kind of high on them coming into the year because they picked up Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, Fleury had a good game the other night or last night against St. Louis, but they still lost one nothing. But he had like an 828 going into that game. I think it's still like an 870 save percentage, like a four goals against average. He has not been good. Uh, the team hasn't helped them in front. Seth Jones has been a mess. And, uh, you know, stats people, including myself, are definitely taking a bit of a victory lap already on the Seth Jones thing. I don't think he'll be this bad, but he has looked like, uh, like he has just looked horrible. One of the worst, the league's worst defenders so far. And his 9.5 by eight year contract doesn't even kick in until next year. So, um, you know, this is a, Definitely a chance that the Chicago is unfortunately going through some COVID stuff as well. So this is definitely a chance for Ottawa, I think, um, to, you know, really kick it in high gear and take some points here from a, a team that is reeling. They don't like the Blackhawks don't have a win yet. That's how bad it's been. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I it's it's one of those things where you, you it's a trap game, I think, at the same time, too. But I think Ottawa, you know, needs every point they can get that they can't be looking ahead to anything you know no game should be a trap game for them but if there's going to be one it's definitely a team that's 07 and 2 and hasn't won yet on the year only one of two winless teams so far this year and the other one is the Arizona Coyotes who are very clearly actively trying to tank so um yeah when it comes to the Blackhawks uh you know Taves and uh, Kane were both on the COVID list I think Kane missed the game against the Leafs the other night I can't I don't know if he was back against St. Louis I'm trying to look it up right now but um you know they, they were both non-factors in the games I've watched and um, you know, Ottawa really needs to try and take advantage of this if they want two points because, uh, you know, as, as we're going to get into after uh, this, uh, Minnesota is not going to be a pushover. You know, in fact, I would uh, I would not be surprised when Ottawa is not favored against Minnesota for that game coming on the second half of a back-to-back as well. So um, I think that's all. I wrapped it up uh, all right. Um, uh, I enjoyed this. You know, uh, 30 minutes of talking is a lot. My voice is definitely tired. But uh, let me know what you guys think because uh, I, I'm really curious to get everyone's opinion um, do you like this? Would you rather hear a guess? Is it too much of me talking? Um, and obviously, you know, listen to the interview and let, let me know what you got, everyone thinks because, uh, um, you know, I, I've, I've been trying to figure out just, you know, where to go with this. Uh, last year, um, I obviously did a bunch of recaps with just Ottawa people, and I will be having Ottawa people on it. I won't be doing previews every week, I don't think, um, especially if it's, say, a run of Canadian teams that we've all seen. Um, but uh, at, at the same time, I, I do want to, you know, try and mix up the guests a little bit so it's not just the same voices that, you know, we hear uh, week in, week out. Try and, you know, uh, push some more voices as well for other teams if anyone's ever interested in checking them out. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, appreciate all the support that everyone has given me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff or Last Word on Sends. That is the podcast Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope you guys all enjoy the interview and thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you guys all next week. Joining me now, he is the managing editor for Hockey Wilderness. He also is, you can find him at Broad Street Hockey and Yahoo Sports Canada as a contributor. Uh, it is Thomas Williams. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's good. How are you? 
Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, it's a Saturday evening, you know, when we're recording this. So uh, it's a rare weekend where uh, Ottawa actually has a couple days off here. They played last night, and then no Saturday or Sunday game. So different feeling, but uh, it's a good time to record a podcast. Yeah, definitely. Hey, finished on a good note too, eh? Around- Good win against the Stars, right? Yeah, exactly. It was a big game on Friday Friday night for them, a big 4-1 win, and they got themselves back in the win book after a couple days off where they've uh, just been kind of sitting idle, not playing. Uh, it's uh, It feels weird that uh, the season started a couple weeks ago, and, and on one hand, I don't know if I can name all seven games Ottawa's played, but it feels like they've played more than seven at the same time, and I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but it's been an exciting start to the season so far. I think um, – just league wide, there's been obviously some things that maybe we haven't expected. Some teams doing uh, better than expected, worse than expected per usual. Um, but that's always the craziness of the first couple of weeks of the NHL schedule. I find. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't never you never know how things are going. Like I know probably Buffalo is the first team that comes to mind for like everyone. And I remember it wasn't that long ago where like Buffalo started that season like nine and two. Uh, I forget what season it was. It might have been like 2017, 18. But then they and then they finished like bottom. Just like the start of the season is so weird and just up and down. You never know. Yeah, exactly. And just as easy it is to go on a seven or eight winning streak if if your team's not that good. And uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say a team like Buffalo definitely isn't. Uh, it's just as easy to go on a seven or eight game losing streak to balance things out later in the year, right? So um, yeah, it's it's always fun in the first couple of weeks watching all the overreactions, especially because you know. I, every year we see the same thing of high offense for the first couple of weeks. No one is playing defensive systems. Everyone's just trying to get their feet underneath them. And uh, you know, I, I think this year has been better with the narrative of is this the year goal, goal scoring stays up or anything like that? Cause it feels like every year we fall in the same trap every year it gets, and obviously goals are slightly up over past years, but um, you know, it goes back to a couple, couple goals per game, not a couple, uh, about a half a goal per game less throughout the season because uh, naturally teams just tighten stuff up defensively. But, um, uh, you know, enough of that. Let's let's talk about the uh, preview. Obviously, I, I mentioned Ottawa's off until Monday. Uh, they'll be playing Chicago, and I was going to take a look at that by myself. Um, uh, obviously, there's a lot to unpack there with the Chicago team off the ice uh, versus on the ice. Um, but when it comes to Tuesday, uh, I'm really excited about this matchup. Uh, the Ottawa Senators get to play the Minnesota Wild. Um, a team that I'm not actually sure the last time they even played. I, I was really trying to think oh, about goodness. it. And obviously it was about a year and a half because of COVID. But I was like, I, I don't even know the time they played before that either. Uh, yeah, like it's, we ran into the same situation because we played the Canucks and Jets so far this season. And it's like, yeah, they haven't played each other in like 400 days. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Like it's Or even more than that because it's been like, I think against the Canucks, it was like, well, it was since the bubble, but the Jets before that was like the January 2020. So it's, it's been so long to see these Canadian teams against Minnesota. But yeah, I'm not particularly sure when the last time was against Ottawa. I just looked it up November 29th, 2019. There you go. So yeah. almost two full years ago, and the Minnesota Wild put a smackdown on the Senators, seven to two. Um, but this is uh, definitely a different Minnesota Wild team than that 2019 roster that uh, yeah. Sens fans would have seen, uh, and and very very different too. Uh, even you know some of the names that maybe were there at the time have gotten uh, a lot better to make this team more dangerous. Um, and like someone like Joel Erickson Eck, and, and obviously the Ottawa Senators have not had to play Kirill Kaprasov yet either. Um, 
What's been the best part about watching this Minnesota team so far this year? Uh, they've obviously jumped out to a five and two start. They look really strong second in their division. Um, it, it's a lot of the same what we saw last year. They took Vegas to all they could handle in seven in the playoffs and and really looked like they were on even match with them. Um, you know, the top teams in that division. And that was a top heavy division. So, um, you know, obviously the carryover to this year, what's, what's been the best part to watch in your opinion so far? I think the biggest difference for me and kind of also a good note to start on the season was that they don't, they're not depending on a couple of players at the beginning of the season. They really depended on Kaprizov and he kind of just blew out of the gate with that overtime, like his NHL debut, he scored a game winning overtime goal against the Kings. So it was like from the get-go last season, it was like, okay, they're relying on this guy. They're basically like, he's the go-to guy. He's the number one option for this team. Where this year, it's kind of, he's taken a little bit of backstep. He hasn't scored a goal yet. Um, might come on Tuesday. Um, but the, like, he, yeah, so he hasn't scored a goal yet, but his playmaking is brilliant right now still. But they're getting their goals from, like, lower down the lineup. Like, Nick Bukestad on the fourth line. Like the fourth line has been incredible. They've kind of jumbled it up a little bit because they've had a COVID situation. Um, Zuccarello and another Rem Pitlick, who's a winger, um, ha- is in the COVID protocol. So they've had to change their lineups a little bit. Um, so it's not how they started their season, where it's really cemented. They basically didn't change their lineup for the first five or so games. Um, but yeah, so like, I think they're just getting their goals from deeper in like Brandon Duheim has been incredible and he's a rookie like 24 year old rookie didn't really expect a lot out of him but like he's just been lights out and just like one of those guys that you just love to cheer for that will like go hard to the net that will like is kind of fearless um but yeah like it's just it's just all four lines kind of running it's not any star power it's not any like oh this line's out so they're gonna score a goal it's really that they could score a goal from like anywhere at any time I feel like yeah and I think it's um it's funny because uh, for obviously all these years uh, the Minnesota Wild have been known as that team that um, you know it's great possession numbers but uh, never really has that shooting talent to to get them over the hump and obviously with adding guys like Kevin Fiala Kaprasov is a massive addition um, you know that's starting to change but uh, what's not changing is their possession numbers. They're still staying strong as ever. And this is obviously a small sample size. It's it's hard to take too much out of seven games, but um, you know, it's seven more games off of the stuff we saw last year. And we've seen for half a decade from this team, um, they're absolutely destroying teams uh, in terms of shot generation and uh, scoring chances at five on five. Uh, they're third in the league right now in Corsi four percentage at 53.94. And they're first in the league with a whopping 58.39 uh, percent and expected goals from natural stat trick here. Um, it's been so impressive to me watching this team. I think there was, you know, last year they, um, they took us, I don't want to say a massive step back, but it, it was definitely a different look team last year where you could tell, I think at times watching them, uh, you know, as you mentioned, they were relying more on skill from guys like Kaprasov than they were just, you know, dominating players at five on five because, uh, you know, their, their Corsi four percentage last year was actually very low. Their expected goals uh, was above 50 still, but it, it wasn't in like the 53 that we've been used to seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see this year, you know, is this a trend that continues where they're at the top for both and they have that high end shooting talent or does it come back down to the middle of the pack a little bit? Because uh, that could be a very defining point in the season for me. Yeah. And like, I think, so last season, basically they banked on, it was Dean Evison's first, it wasn't even a full season. It was his first start to a season. Um, Cause he replaced Mikey in the middle of the 2019, 20 season, but he basically 
they depend so much on the quality of shots. They allow a lot on the perimeter defensively, um, but they like they're basically a black hole right in front of their netminder. And then it's kind of the opposite in the offensive zone. They they rely so much on high danger shots. So that's why you saw the discrepancy of like expected goals in courses, like because they they don't like basically they don't shoot it unless they like know that it's a very high quality chance. Um this year it's a little bit different. Like you said, like it's kind of a balance, but they also haven't played super high powered offense teams. So they're still kind of relying on those quality chances offensively, but defensively they're kind of, they've been all right, but they, again, they're playing like Kings. They've already played the ducks twice. Like it's not these teams that you're really scared of like Canucks. Like it's, it's, you're not like really like terrified about these teams and um, offensively at all. So it's, it, it's still early and wait until they kind of play those Colorados like they're playing actually tonight um, as we're recording in a couple hours. And yeah, so they still, I think it'll even out and a little bit like decline, but I think they'll still be right up there, um, especially the way they're playing right now and all throughout the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, getting into the actual Sens versus Wild game, even though it's in a couple of days from now, uh, one thing I'm really interested to see is how the top six of these two teams match up against each other. Because, uh, you know, I think you've already touched on the Wild's depth throughout this year. I think that's one place they definitely can overpower Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa's got some guys in the bottom of the lineup, but, um, you know, just between injuries and stuff like that, you know, they, they don't always have the, they had, don't have the most ideal lineup right now. Um, and even the top six, you know, Shane Pinto's out, which means, you know, Chris Tierney's kind of had to slot into that two C role and they, they don't really have a, a three C because Colin White is out right now as well. So you've had Nick Paul switch from the wing and he's a great player, but he switched from the wing and maybe a third line role up into a second line role. Um, but for Ottawa, the, the big thing has been, a lot of their offense this year, especially since Kachuk's got back, comes from that top line of Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson. I'm going to be really interested to keep an eye on what the Wild do to try and um, take care of them because, uh, you know, it definitely I think if, if that's a line you're going to shut down, you might have some success against the Ottawa Senators not keeping those guys off the scoreboard. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure Everson will probably throw the uh, – actually, the lines are different tonight. Um, Felino's up on the first line with – Erickson and uh, Kaprizov, but before it was a Hart, Ryan Hartman, Felino, and Greenway, and Greenway got injured the last game as well. So their main shutdown line, which was like they had crazy percentages, I don't know the number off my head, but I think it was 70 something like expected goals for percentage so far this season as the trio. Um, that they usually that's like their go to to shut down the top lines, but they're kind of had to be torn apart just for injuries and COVID and stuff. But um, yeah, like it'll be really interesting. Cause I think the wild don't have the most physical forwards as well. Like Marcus Felino is like basically their go-to guy that'll stir everything up and kind of can create space out there. And Erickson X all right at doing that. But again, like it's not, they kind of just grind away and kind of push and shove instead of really creating space around that. So I think they might, have a little trouble against Kachuk and the playmaking of Batherson and the finishing talent. Um, yeah, it'll, I think it'll be really interesting because that'll basically be the the one go-to line that um, they have for sure. 
Yeah, and I think, you yeah, know, if Sens fans aren't aren't aware of him just yet, uh, Joel Erickson is, is a name that uh, isn't the most flashiest of players, but definitely deserves more credit than I think he gets due uh, just across the league. Um, you know, last year, I thought he really broke out into his own as a defensive style centerman there that, that really helped push them forward and was a huge reason their success, uh, obviously, alongside Kaprasov coming in um, as well. So, you know, he he is going to be someone that it will be very interesting to watch. And, uh, you know, as someone who's uh, cheering for an opposing team maybe not as fun to watch while he's if he's shutting down the big guys but uh um, the other thing I want to go here too is uh I feel like for years uh Minnesota has always just been this defensive factory that just spits out defensemen their top four is always solid and um it's a bit of a different look on the blue line this year you know like right now uh I was just going on daily face off I saw they had Kulikov and Spurgeon paired up I don't know if that's actually going to say uh, I also saw Kulikov Kulikov is actually not on ice for warm-ups or didn't play in Thursday's uh, matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have obviously Matthew Dumba, Jonas Brodeen. Um, and then in the bottom pair, it's John Merrill and Kalen Addison. Uh, Addison, the younger guy that they got from Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. Um, you know, how's this decor looked this year compared to maybe years past? So those pairings are very uh, new. Uh, Kulikov was injured last. Yeah. So he didn't play Thursday. Um but it was Goligoski is usually there, but he's out for it with an injury. And this is all like within the last couple of days, they've just dealt with injuries like crazy. It was all, everyone went down at once kind of thing. Um, so it was Goligoski Spurgeon. And then uh, Kulikov was on the bonding pairing with John Merrill. And then a Brodin spot, Brodin Dumba is basically their go-to like two way powerhouse. They like pairing that basically they partner with a five man unit with the Kaprizov line always. Um, so those would be the players that I'd watch out for as like adding offense from the back end as well. But, um, as a whole, they've been honestly, surprisingly effective. The Everson's been really good at understanding when people have not looked particularly good. Uh, on Thursday, when the injuries went down, they had Jordy Ben and John Lazat, who's like a college free agent guy they picked up, um, not too, or a free agent guy that picked up um, not too long ago. They both look terrible and they're very slow. So Everson switched it up right away and brought up Addison and he'll be making his season debut uh, tonight against the abs. But yeah, it'll be interesting how they handle the abs and if they keep those same pairings, they might, it might be completely different on Tuesday as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Kulikov goes with Spurgeon and as kind of like an ultra defensive um, guys, but honestly, like, they use their defensemen well enough as kind of a five-man unit as going forward. So, like, one thing that I was, like, thinking about is that I'm wondering how Ottawa's blue line will handle, like, four, four, like, basically four forwards coming at them. Um, and, like, guys like Spurgeon and Dumba really, like, jumping up in the rush. So, um, but, yeah, honestly, the blue line has seemed all right. It's very, like, wait and see, but I – that Brody Dumba pairing is like the most con- one of the most most concrete pairings like in the league. I feel like, yeah, absolutely. It feels like year in year out too. The, those guys just spit out numbers that you know are going to be reliable yeah. and solid. You know, even if they don't have the um, flashiest of counting points or anything like that. And uh, yeah, I think you bring up a good point with the Ottawa defense core. Uh, you know, you, you said Dean Evison does a great job of taking guys out of situations they're not comfortable in. I would argue that's one of DJ Smith's worth qualities, uh, at least in the, when it comes to the blue line. I, I think 
Smith does an all right job of switching stuff up when it needs to be switched, but maybe a couple of weeks too late. But uh, one of the things he's refused to do, and I, I just don't know why most sense fans don't understand why, but it's Nikita Zaitsev in the top four. And I think he probably has a role as an NHL player, but it is a sheltered third pair defenseman who you don't ask to play too much in his own end because the dude just, he can't break the puck out. He treats the puck like an active grenade on a stick at all times. And when it's an odd man rush or when he gets caught cycling in his own zone, he just gets lost out there. And that's why I think I'm a little worried, you know, if they're sending odd man rushes, three on two, four on twos, I, I find um, a lot of the sense defense court, it's not just Zaitsev, but it, it's, he's the most noticeable one, um, especially because he's not a fast skater or anything either. So when he's out of place, he's very out of place, but they get puck watching a lot. Um, him and Victor Mede have been a pairing this year and it's been a effing disaster, like just just brutal every time they step on the ice and in their own end, it feels like both of them are just completely attracted to wherever the puck goes. So all you have to do is draw it in the corner and both guys are like flies and they just get taken away. And there's suddenly a guy wide out in front. And it's the same on, on the offensive side or on the rush side of things is if you're bringing in an extra body, uh, they fail to pick that guy up sometimes. And I think that is going to lead to um, a possibility for chances in, for Minnesota in this game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They could probably target Z- and as someone that ha- lives in Toronto, um, I am well aware of Zaitsev. And someone that has like grown to love the Sens also. I'm not like so kind of breaking the fourth wall is that I'm not like a I basically started watching the wild like three years ago when I started wa- playing uh, writing about them. Um, but yeah, like so I, I love the Sens. I'm a Sens sicko. Um, <laughs> but it it's and if anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that I like, I just watch sense all the time, but um, yeah. It, and Josh Brown too has annoyed me as a player. Um, yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a, it's a strange mix for the Ottawa blue line. I feel like with the kind of guys you want to like Shabbat and Zub have been like immaculate. And then, uh, and then it's just a bunch of guys. I feel like and Victor Mete can be sometimes, but it's, it's hard to really nail that down i feel like a lot of the times but um yeah i i I think it's going to be a fun kind of back and forth game because both teams have the potential of really turning up the jets on the offensive side and then slowing it down like you're i might just be narcissistic and pessimistic in all those words um right now just because minnesota played uh like actual crap against seattle um that yeah so We'll have to see. Maybe I'll be feeling that they're like the best team in the world after they if they beat the Avs tonight. But um, yeah, it'll be. I feel like a very back and forth, almost like a very basketball game esque like uh, game between these two clubs. Yeah, and I think you know, speaking from an Ottawa side of things, that's really how their forwards like to play into things too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen with their speed and Formanton and even Connor Brown, uh, you know, and Batherson, they really like that counter attack where they can attack off the rush. Uh, and, you know, there's times where we've seen, even if they get running around in their own zone, all you need is one shot block back the other way and you got speed going back and that'll be something Minnesota got, has to keep in mind. And um, I think it, it's just, you know, as we're talking about this, it's fun saying that the Minnesota Wild can play an exciting back and forth game because uh, obviously the narrative has always been that they play a very boring style of hockey. I always called them the most irrelevant team in the NHL. And I, I don't mean that wow. as a place of hate. It was just... I just never cared when they came to town because they played an effective style of hockey. There's nothing wrong with playing defensive hockey. If it works, Uh, ask the 2017 Ottawa senators. 
Um, but at the, at the same time, they just never really had that star power where, uh, you know, again, it, it's kind of shifting. I, I think a, some of the guys that are there get more recognition, but even just having a cappers off to get some eyes on the rest of the team. And then you can see what someone like Kevin Fiala is all about as well. It's uh it's really special and it's a good thing for the team and the league. Yeah. And there, and there's young guys coming too. like, obviously Boldy and Rossi are the main guys that will be coming up this year and probably the next time the Sens play the wild this year. I don't know when that is, but they might be up with the team, but even they just brought up Adam Beckman, who was a, the star child of the preseason. He had scored five goals in four games in the preseason. Um, that has, he's absolutely unreal. And um, he might not look the greatest tonight because it's an actual NHL game, but yeah, like he it's, it's, the next wave of young guys that are coming to the wild that I feel like will really make a mark. And they already got a good little like second tier core of young guys past that. Like the Beckman, Connor Dwar is a really uh, good guy. Um, Brendan Duheim already mentioned. It's just like this next level kind of really built on speed. And like, I know it's a very like played out word, but tenacity um, is just like, they don't care about like, just throwing their bodies at on the forecheck and getting like the greasiest goal, like a goal is a goal kind of thing that the wilder kind of building off of. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a fun style of hockey. And I think it's kind of where the game's trending. So it mm -hmm. uh, leads for a good future there as well. Um, I'll get you on one more question before I get out of here. Someone who follows yeah. the Ottawa Senators as well. Uh, you know, obviously Matt Murray got hurt again. He's back on the IR. Uh, it doesn't sound like he'll be out for too long when he gets back. What do you do with Gustafson and Forsberg? Because I have a very strong opinion on this, but I, okay. I want someone who's maybe got more of an outside take than I do. Do you, do you send Gustafson back down to the HL uh, or do you try and move Forsberg? I, I want to say Forsberg is the odd man out. Um, yeah, it's tricky because it's like dependent on the development process and stuff. But I do believe like my own opinion is that and you know Matt Murray is like not very consistent. So if you kind of do the thing of like getting Gustafson more games, like do like a 60-40 split almost um, kind of thing with Gustafson and that development. But I do believe that like NHL practices are more important to a player than players development than kind of a lot of people are believe or like think. Um, like I do love game minutes. I do think that's so important in getting, if you're able to play like 80% of, Belleville's games then sure that's good but I think Gustafson's at a point that he should probably be in an NHL tandem and he could kind of be that next man up like you see it so much it's a it's a standard trajectory path right you see that that young kid um that is like playing backup for a while underneath like a more established starter and then he'll eventually take over the, the role and kind of break through so I feel like um that's just coming I think I think I think that's where Gustafson is and it sucks for Forsberg, but yeah. 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 I think um, that's kind of what I, I agree with you uh, on all counts. I think it's absolutely obvious Forsberg is an NHL goalie already. Uh, I think they need to stop trying to force Matt Murray into this number one role. I don't really care how much money you've paid. He's made it clear that uh, he can't stay healthy enough. And even, you know, when he is healthy, how consistent is he going to be to be a number one guy? I really do think there's an avenue for Gustafson and Murray to split and Murray plays 49, 50 games and Gustafson gets whatever the rest of that is, you know, yeah, 30, yeah. 38, high thirties. Right. And yeah. I, I think 
that is just as beneficial as playing 40 something, 50 games in the AHL. Um, and to me, you know, I feel bad for Forsberg because he seems like, um, you know, a good enough guy, uh, yeah. you know, he's done everything that's asked for asked of him. But I, I also do think with for, what Forsberg has shown, um, there's absolutely a team that you could flip Forsberg to probably for a late round pick that needs a, a backup goalie or just some stability in net. And I don't have one off the top of my head, but how often do we see a goalie to go down for an unexpected amount of time? And, and suddenly guys are scrambling for an extra guy having that third goalie is an okay thing. And if, you know, uh, the timing's got to be right, but if you can find a team that is, you know, a little anxious to get an extra guy, like the Colorado avalanche is a team that um, comes to my mind because, you know, they don't have the, their problem is they don't really have cap space to add him. Uh, but right now they have, um, uh, Frank who's got hurt again. He didn't play at all last year and he barely played the mm-hmm. year before. So right now you have Jonas Johansson as the backup goalie to Darcy Kemper. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. So like, that's a place where it's like, I could see a team actually wanting to take it like a swing on Anton Forsberg. I think if the market's out there, you got to explore it because, uh, I don't think they're going to kill development one way or the other. Like I really do think development's a a fluid process for whoever. And I don't think there's one mm-hmm. right or wrong way to do it. Um, but I, I do think it's just obvious that Gustin is an NHL level goalie. And I just think it's better off suited playing against, keep improving against NHL talent than it would be lesser talent in the AHL at this point. Yeah, definitely. And the wild might be a market too, depending on how Capo Kakinen plays. Cause he hasn't started the season out very well. <laughs> and I don't think he played. I mean, you can correct me if you're wrong. I don't understand what the, hype about him last season was he had that really oh. hot start and then he was just he, getting wins yeah it was like, basically like he was getting like the team was winning with him and net but he wasn't playing particularly well like yeah. Talbot's a way better goaltender like it's, it, it was just because Tal was out but exactly and like everything I looked at in, in his numbers just like even when I was watching him um you know I wrote about that I wrote for the avalanche last year uh but you know just watching him I was like I don't understand what the hype about this guy is. And then like people were freaking out when he wasn't protected in the expansion draft and wasn't taken. I was like, no. the dude had like a 900 save percentage. Like let's cool the jets here, guys. Come on. Yeah. I feel like with young goal is just so hard because you could probably get the same, you're banking on like future performance. Like you could probably get the same standard performance from a backup. If you really want to just like get your, your Kadobins like on a one year, your Hawks, like, get those types of goalies and just kind of rotate through your Forsbergs, like, um, like just rotate through kind of your backup. So I feel like really trying to push Capo is, uh, is difficult. And especially with Wallstack coming up, like he'll probably be in, on the wild, like in three years. So <laughs> you don't need him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that's one I've done. I'm, I'm glad someone else who at least covers the team kind of, uh, shed some light on that because that was one yeah. for the past year. I've not been able to understand. Uh, anyways, I'll get you out on there. I'll out of here on that. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and everything you do? Uh, yeah. So hockeywilderness.com is where I write. Um, I also write for broad street hockey, the Philadelphia flyers SB nation site. Um, and yeah. And Yahoo is basically just freelance work of writing news and goofy articles there. Um, but yeah. Uh, and on Twitter, you can find me at no salary retain, no E no last E or whatever because of the character limit. Um, And yeah, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for joining me and I'll have to have you down the road when uh, these two teams match up again. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it.